Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following program includes the opinions of Conk News and does not reflect the views of its sponsors. From the pages of Conk News at Conk.News and from the headquarters of Conk News at Broadway and Central in Northeast Minneapolis, USA. I'm Jim Peters, the editor-in-chief of Conk News, and we're in the dark from Monday, March 13th, 2023. Audio, everybody. So I'm going to get right to the point here. It's a proud day for us, actually a proud week here at Kong News. It's our two-year anniversary. Specifically, it's on Wednesday, March 15th. On Monday, March 15th, 2021, we launched. As of today, I think this is, if I'm correct, this is the 365th podcast we've done in two years. So we've been averaging about a new one every other day on average. But that doesn't even count. We did a year of shows on Blog Talk Radio, and we're not even counting them as podcasts. So we even did more than that. So yeah, so we got a lot to celebrate here. On on Wednesday, on on Hank Reardon's show, the Reardon Report on Wednesday, I'm going to be making a little appearance. We're going to talk about this. Hank and I are going to talk about this a little bit. We've been here, both been here since the beginning. Tim Conway is the engineer and the producer for that show, and he um he's he was the very first Conk News contributor. We call him the OG. Well, nice to have him around, too. We'll talk talk him. On, on Friday of this week, we're going to have a very special edition of Kong News Weekend. We got a full panel. Hank is going to be there. Hank Ridden, no, you normally doesn't do, do Kong News Weekends anymore, but he's going to be there. And uh, Tim is going to be there, as usual. Don Zorro is usually a, a normal um, person on, on Fridays on the weekends. He will be there. Jennifer Oliver O'Connell from RedState.com and AsAGirlTurns.com. She will be joining us. And Dr. Murray Saban, economist extraordinaire, he will be joining us too. Uh, also, he, they're both Kong News contributors. So uh, today our guest is David Strom. We've already taped this interview. Uh, you, you know, Strom is just the most interesting cat. Oh, my God. And I know it's like I use the word cat because, you know, I'm, I'm 67 years old, so that dates me. But, my God, he really is. He's so insightful. And and I, I didn't even have to uh, – you know, he's an associate editor of HotAir.com. I didn't even have to go to his author page on Hot Air. I've just been reading it. I've been collecting articles. I came up with 11 things he wrote about the last two weeks I wanted to talk about. And we only got around to, it's only, I think, four of them. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Anyway, listen and learn. He's, he's a really cool guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's very entertaining, too. And also, another thing about this, we did not get around, I did not even get around to mention this to him. Something really interesting happened this last week. David Strom wrote an article on Hot Air, and it's called Yet Another Hate Hoax, where he 
quotes an article written by Jennifer Gabani, the editor-in-chief of thecollegefix.com, who is also a Kong News contributor. I don't think David even knew that. We had one Kong News contributor quoting extensively another an article by another Kong News contributor. First time it's ever happened. And I, I, got, I, mean, I got a little flutter in the, the chest there, and like got a little verkempt. It was like, you know, kind of like that was kind of cool. So do I have to stop and uh, tell you about what happened this week? First of all, we're taping this on Sunday afternoon. It's about 3, 3 p.m. right now, Central Time on Sunday. Uh, you'll be listening to this on Monday morning or sometime during Monday. It'll be interesting to see what happens. There's a possibility the stock market might collapse on Monday morning. A, a bank called Silicon Valley Bank in Silicon Valley, in uh, the heart of uh, the Bay Area, folded this last week and mayhem ensued. Now, David and I cover this on the next block uh, extensively, and he, he's written about it, but uh, this is not good. And the thing is, he brings us up too, and that is there's a distinct possibility that people running this bank were more concerned with their woke agenda than they were actually protecting the shareholders. They, they, this bank is known for its ESG scores, its, uh, its uh, a commitment to uh, green energy, all sorts of woke bullshit leftist causes. Uh, it's known for that. And apparently everything except keeping track of people's money, apparently. And David brought this up too. One of the um, people, the risk manager of this bank, the chief risk manager, she tweeted about the fact that her biggest fear here is that the fact that this bank folded will bring uh, will be a big blow to the social agenda of the uh, LGBT community. And she had to take that tweet down. She got so many so many complaints that uh, she removed it. That's great. That's terrific. Yeah. Thank thanks for playing, everybody. <laughs> You know, Hank has talked about this before. Now, as of this moment, from what I understand, the information is that the 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 Fed is not going to bail this bank out. They're, they said they're going to, you know, they're going to take care of this, the the deposit holders, but they're not going to actually bail the bank out. They're going to let the bank fail. Hank's been saying for months, "You want to, um, you know, want to see how the liberal agenda is going to work out? You know, just let shit fail. Just let it fail. Let it go to hell." I, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around how incompetent these people are, and I mean all of them, all of them. It's been two years, two years and a couple months, and basically not a single thing has gone right. The only possible thing I want because I'm bringing this up because I want to make sure I'm fair here. The only possible thing is you could say they have not completely mismanaged the war in Ukraine. So far, so good. In the sense that, you know, we're not getting anybody killed, and yeah, we're spending a shitload of money, but we're kind of fighting the Russians. I mean, in some ways, it's a giant compromise, you know, but but at, le- but th- at least things haven't gone south there. Now, you know, I want to quote Barack Obama, who said, uh, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to fuck things up. So that the jury's still out on that. But in every single other thing they've done running the government, they failed. Every single one. Every goddamn single one. And like I was talking to, to David, the fear is that, the fear as a conservative and as a libertarian is that 
they will completely fail. The, the government will completely fail, which in some ways is pretty obvious they want to do that. That's actually part of their long-range plan. In some ways, they're thinking just like the Chinese communists are. You know, I was talking last week we had on Nathan Su, and he's talking about the fact that the communists are into, the Chinese communists are into, a, a, they're 30 years into a 100-year plan to take over the United States. And they should be able to do, if their plan works out, they should be able to do it without firing a single shot. That's the thing. The same way we collapse the Soviet Union, they will just be able to do it economically. That's what their thinking is. And because we're so freaking stupid. But in some ways, the leftists have a similar agenda. And that is, it seems like they want to collapse the United States culturally and economically so they can rebuild it in their own image, which is basically going to be uh, socialism. You know, they, they want to rebuild us as a social country. Do I have to say this again? Socialism has never worked anywhere it's been tried, anywhere. It's never worked. It's been tried over and over again for the last hundred plus years. It's never worked anywhere. And of course, no, no, we'll get it to work. No. And here's the thing. They won't. They won't get it to work. And then it will fail. They will not take responsibility for the failure. They'll blame it on somebody else because that's one of the things Democrats do. They never, they're never wrong ever. It's always somebody else's fault. And then we will have to pick up the pieces. And do you know how hard it's going to be to put together a reasonable society after that happens? And, you know, you can say, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's not going to happen. Well, geez, I don't know. Everything's gone wrong in the last two years. And then here's the rub on top of that. They've gone on and on about how Donald Trump is evil. Donald Trump is evil. You know, I have liberal friends who tell me, you know, I had a liberal friend who told me that he actually liked Trump's policies, but he never vote for him, can never vote for him ever because he's evil. They've done a really good job projecting what Charles Krauthammer famously said, and that is, Conservatives think liberals are wrong. Liberals think conservatives are evil, and that—that's really true. So they got a guy. They got Trump. Uh, They—they're—they're they're poster boy. They're—they're—they're—they're kickstand boy. And yet, in the meantime, every single thing they've done has gone wrong, and, and everything's fine. Just ask the White House. Everything's okay. You know, Joe Biden got up on Thursday or Friday and said, "You know, I don't want. I've lowered your electric bills." Uh, no, no, you haven't. No, no, that's a bald-faced, utter lie. And, and anybody paying an electric bill in America knows it. No electric bill has gone down. No electric bill in the entire United States is below where it was when he took office. Not a single one. But he will say he's brought it down because he brought it. He brought it up first. That's what he's talking about. But he doesn't care. No, there's. I mean, it's a lie. That's a substantive lie. And that's all we've heard over and over again. So these people, the January 6th committee, uh, Tucker gets up on TV this week. He shows two, two nights of videos of plainly people in the Capitol uh, letting people walk around. The Capitol Police, especially this guy called the QAnon Shaman, what's his name, Jacob Chamsky is his name, something like that. Everyone says, well, this was violent, this was violent, this was violent. This guy, they let him walk around the Capitol. They never bothered to arrest him. Now, he did commit a crime. He did He did breach the Capitol illegally, apparently. So, I mean, he already he committed a crime when he walked in. But beyond that, they're giving him a sightseeing tour. And it's plainly obvious from the tape. And then the amazing thing is, and we talked about this on the weekend show, Benny Thompson, the head of the January 6th committee, that committee that's already sham because there are only Republicans on it were the Republicans that the Democrats chose. First time in the history of Congress, going back 200 years, that the minority 
whip was was not allowed to assign people to a committee. First time ever. And Thompson is telling the press after Tucker shows us that, you know, we never saw that footage either. And the amazing thing is I and Don Zorro and the people we were talking to, the, the panel here on for the weekend show, we kind of believe him. First of all, it's 41,000 hours worth of footage. You don't expect everybody on the panel to watch all of it. You don't. Secondly, you don't expect them to watch any of it. They're way too freaking important. You know, they're they're important and lazy. They're getting paid. It's like there's no accountability if they they don't do the job. And so you know they passed it off to to underlings, and those underlings cherry picked what they wanted everyone to see. Very simple as that. You know, so I, I know it's just absurd. It's astonishing. I actually believe him when he said he hadn't seen that footage, and that alone. It either way, it's a travesty. Either either he watched it and lied about it or didn't watch it and should have, one or the other. You know, which is it? Pick your poison. It's a, it's all goofy. It's all Looney Tunes. So then on Thursday, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberg get up in front of Congress and talk about the Twitter files, and they got railed over by the Democrats. And the funny thing is, and you listen to David Strom's interview with the B-Block here toward the end, he talks about this. In fact, they're liberals. It's like, first of all, the one, one of the women didn't know who Barry Weiss was, and she's integral to this whole discussion. She's one of the three journalists involved here. I don't, she did not testify but this woman, one of the congressmen, uh, Democratic congressmen, didn't even know who she was, which is absurd. That means this woman didn't even bother to do 10 minutes worth of homework before getting on the DS. It's unbelievable. And like Strom said, uh, Taibbi and Schellenberger got ripped apart as pretty much as well as you can because in the fact you don't have a, a valid point of view by, by the congressman congresswoman from the Virgin Islands who, who actually can't vote. She doesn't have a vote in Congress. It's, it's, it's a de facto ceremonial position. But still, she is a representative because that the Virgin Islands isn't in the state. It's, it's, it's a territory, so she can't vote. And so they, they basically, she basically did her best to make Taibbi and Schellenberger look like buffoons, which, of course, they aren't, and they, they shot back. And then, like I said, the hilarious part is they're liberals, so you, the Liberal Party doesn't even want to buy this. Now, we go into, uh, Strom and I go into why they did it uh, in, the, in the B block. You can, you can listen to that. I, I told, like I told David, it's like I watched this and my heart sank. It's like this is like you have, you have one party of the government who's actually campaigning against free speech. Did you ever think this was ever going to happen? I mean, I'm 67 years old. I never thought I'd see this ever. It's mind-boggling. Well, anyway, let's go on to that interview because we had a long show today. In the in the C in the um, C block, where uh, I got some UFO news that's actually kind of interesting. So you want to stick around for that? David Strom, the associate editor of Hotair.com, coming up next. Keep listening, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome back to In the Dark. I'm Jim Peters. It's Monday, March 13, 2023. Joining us on via phone from his upstairs bedroom in North Minneapolis, associate editor of HotAir.com, David Strom. Hi, David. You gave away my big secret. <laughs> what's, that? what's that? That my studio is actually my bedroom. So. Well, I got the same thing going, too. It's like, you know, you live in these old houses. I'm assuming you're, if you're in North Minneapolis, I'm assuming you're in a relatively old house. I don't know. I shouldn't. Uh, actually, it's only 20 years old. We built it. Oh, that's uh, not all good for you. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, no, it was one of the dumbest mistakes I ever made in my life. But I've made some big, dumb mistakes. Are we talking about Mr. Blanding's uh, Builds His Dream House, that sort of thing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Does anybody uh, does anybody under fifty know what we're talking about? <laughs> well, uh, I believe that house was actually built in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, really? West St. Paul, in fact. I and, did not know that. Uh, uh, it's uh, I, I, I had this just from a friend of mine who happens to own this house, and he may be jerking my chain. Uh, but it's completely believable. It looks exactly like that house. <laughs> oh, I'm sure if it, it probably is then, you know. So. They, they got to go somewhere. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, I have to tell you, you've been on a roll lately. And you, I have unfortunately, and forgive me, I've repeated this on the air at least half a dozen times in the last, like, two months. And I can't remember if you said this to me on air or off air. But you, you said at some, at some point time back you said it's easy to do our job right now because everything's so goddamn effed up and you're right <laughs> so i'm i've been collecting here i didn't go to hot air i didn't go to your author page i've actually been collecting here over the last two weeks i have 11 articles you've written that i want to talk to you about we're not going to get around to all of them i know that i know but oh my again, gosh you've been on a roll i mean seriously this is really good stuff you've been putting out but the first thing i have to address now we're taping this on monday afternoon or sunday afternoon on the 12th and this morning, you and a bunch of other people at Hot Air have been posting about the 
F, what is it? As Silicon SVB uh, Silicon Valley Bank, right? SVB. Their 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 failure. So uh, where where is this right at the at, at the present time? Like at one thirty Central Time on Sunday? Where is this at right now? Do you know? Well, I'll give you uh, the the sequence of events over the last week. Sure. Uh, uh, and the first part of it just is not that complicated. But Tuesday, Forbes magazine uh, uh, calls SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, one of the top five banks in the country. <laughs> uh, and uh, the specialty of SVB, uh, as you would expect, is to serve people, and in particular, tech companies and emerging tech companies in the Silicon Valley area. And so all those companies that raise capital uh, by the million, uh, that money goes into SVB. Yeah. And so you've got this huge ecosystem of thousands, generally small to medium sized tech companies that have all or almost all their money there. And so, uh, it, you know, it's used for both storage of the investment money, but for cash flow. So we're talking about, you know, salaries, paying off invoices, all that. And so right. you've got billions of dollars in this bank. So my impression, and, David, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. My impression is this is a a, a high-level B level bank, right? It's, there, it's not a really, yeah. a truly, great. Uh, you know, it's not one of the big five or big seven, but as regional banks go, it's very large. Am I right about that? You are exactly right about that. It is not a, uh, what they call a systemically important bank, an SIB. And uh, what makes those banks special is that basically the Federal Reserve has said, we will not let these banks fail. Uh but anything aside from those few, and I said five to seven systemically important banks, uh, they are allowed to fail. And for obvious reasons, I mean, if you say no bank could ever fail, then no bank is ever going to manage risk. Right. Uh, so uh, you can't have only upside. <laughs> no, you can't. Of course. Uh, uh, otherwise, what happens is it's just rape and pillage. <laughs> So uh, anyway, so SVB, very important bank, uh, particularly for anything in the Silicon Valley area. Uh, they also have been very bad at risk management. Uh, they poured, it, and they have no excuse for it because the president of SVB is on the San Francisco Federal Reserve Board. Yeah, that was in your so, article. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not talking about, you know, someone who doesn't have the inside track. I mean, they know what's going on. Uh, uh, In in any case, they invested a huge proportion of their money, almost all of it, uh, their reserves, in uh, uh, T-bills. And they did it at one point. 5% 5% interest or something like that when interest rates were really low. Well, interest rates have been going through the roof, obviously, <laughs> because of the Federal Reserve. And so the value of these T-bills just kept on going down. Uh, and they have their reserves in this. And so every time someone took money 
out of their bank, tried to get their money, they had to sell at a loss uh, these T-bills. And at, at some point, it became clear to people around them that they did not have enough reserves to maintain cash flow. Well, matter of fact, David, now, it, was, this in, was this in your article or someone else I read that no. that actually they had no reserves at all because of the COVID pandemic emergency? The bank's reserve funds were suspended? Is that, am I right about that? Well, the, the, the level that they had to keep. Uh, was suspended. Yeah. So they could go <clears throat> essentially to zero. Right. Now, now these guys actually did have some reserve, though. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, the, they were, uh, there was no limit that was set by the Fed, but they had some reserve. But it was very poorly invested, and they were losing money on it. Uh, and so what happened was, it's unclear that they would not have been able to cover uh, the cash flow but uh, the risk kept on getting higher and higher. And so the big boys in Silicon Valley said, well, you know, if they go under, we're going to lose our money. And so they start a bank run. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, once a bank run uh, starts, you're an idiot not to try to get your own money out. Right. Uh, I, I do want you need to clarify this too. You're not talking about a run of like average citizens at the no. door. You're talking about institutional investors who, who are taking their money out, right? Yeah, they're taking right. it out by the millions and hundreds of millions. Right, right. Uh, and so it became a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, once people thought that the bank could fail, the bank would fail. Right. Uh, because the thing that keeps banking system going is trust. Of course. Uh, uh, because otherwise, I mean, they lend the money out. They do, It's not like they put it in the vault. How they make money is to lend it out. And so they never have uh, 100% reserves. It's a fractional reserve system. Yeah, that's uh, the, right. That's a, that's a very charter of a bank because you get to loan out yep. more money than you have, right? Yeah. That's right. So, uh, bottom line is, uh, they did some horribly risky things that that bit them in the butt, and everyone else looked at that and said, "Well, I don't want to be the person left holding the bag." The problem for all the people who had their money in there is the big guys got their money out, uh, but all those small to medium sized companies, by the time they got the word that you should get your money out. It was too late. And the uh, first the California regulators came in and then the feds came in, shut it down. And now the only thing that's guaranteed to the people who had money there is the first $250,000, right? Would cover me fine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money to, to worry about. So those people are whole. Uh, but if you but have if they, you have fifty million dollars on that bank, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners know Etsy, uh, but it's it's kind of like uh, eBay for people who make you know art and jewelry and clothing, yeah, jewelry, all of that, and so it services hundreds of thousands of small businesses. Uh, people who make primary or secondary money on the side. Well, Etsy has its money in SVB, and they aren't going to be able to pay their bills. 
and no one knows what's going to happen because uh, the bank doesn't open up till tomorrow, uh, or not the bank. Uh, the feds won't tell us what's going to happen. Uh, so uh, it's what, it's a disaster. What do you? And that's that's only the depositors. Anyone who invested in it, they're wiped out. Yeah, right. What do you do? You see this as a contagion? Do you think this is going to start a domino effect? Well, it certainly could. I mean, uh, a lot of it depends uh, uh, upon you know what does the Federal Reserve do? What does the Treasury do? Right now, they're saying they are just going to do the standard of what they do when your corner bank fails. Uh, the community bank down the street fails and, you know, they cover people to 250, they liquidate it or they sell it. And whatever's left over after the sale goes first to the depositors and then to the stockholders. Right. And usually the stockholders are left holding the bag. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I mean, cause it's not like normally they have lots of money left over. Normally they don't have enough. And, so, and uh, as of this afternoon, the Fed has said they are not actually going to bail the bank out itself. Correct? That is correct. Right. And the the Treasury has said the same thing. And there's a good argument for that. Uh, the the, pro- the problem is there's a good argument for both sides. I mean, on the one hand, capitalism doesn't work if you every time someone fails, uh, you bail them out. On the other hand. The banking system uh, in the United States and, and, you know, every Western country is actually a creation, in a sense, of the government. Didn't used to be. uh, uh, But once we got the Federal Reserve, uh, they sort of kind of, you know, through their regulations and their credit practices, uh, uh, create their whole idea is to create the trust in the system and to make sure that the credit flows. And so you've got this sort of quasi-governmental element to banks. Back in in the 19th century, banks used to actually uh, print their own money. Yeah. It was a free market system, uh, but it no longer is. Well, you know, we have a, Clunk News contributor here, Dr. Murray Sabrin, he's, he's a really well-known economist. He literally wrote a book called Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. And he has gone, yeah. on, he has gone on about the fact that we should abol- abolish it. But my only complaint or counter to that with him is that somebody has to print the money. And God in heaven, you don't want Congress to do this. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, because they're already completely incompetent buffoons. If you turn the money supply over to them, I mean, we'll be dead in 20 days. I mean, shit, you know. But, I, I mean, I certainly I certainly see his point on what you're talking about, too. And that is, uh, the, the, unfortunately, the Fed a lot of times doesn't react or go with market the market flow, and they, they're trying to control, basically they're trying to control the financial narrative, and sometimes it does not work out, you know? Oh, yeah, it, and it could be a disaster. I mean, the Fed has a long and glorious history uh, of pretending to be proactive, but actually being reactive. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a practical matter, when uh, things are going well, that works out fine. Uh, and when things are going badly, it goes very badly. Uh, 
Uh, and, uh, really, I mean, if you look back, I mean, everything really started going to shit, uh, back, uh, at the end of Vietnam. I mean, if, uh, which is hard for people to understand, but, uh, uh, between World War II and about 1970, I forget the date, uh, uh, we were part of the Bretton Woods monetary system where, uh, pretty much every currency in the Western world was tied to the U.S. dollar, and the U.S. dollar was tied to gold. Yeah, it was 1971 where Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. That was yes, right. there you go. And, right. uh, and ever since, uh, and there was a reason why they did that. So we printed a lot of money for the Vietnam War and the War on Poverty, and all our allies basically saw major inflation uh, because there were lots of dollars and they were all tied to the U.S. dollar. And we were able to basically export a lot of the economic problems to everyone else. And they were basically saying, this doesn't work. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we got out of Bretton Woods and ever since we've been battling inflation. And uh, people do not fully understand how much the value of the U.S. dollar has dropped since the Federal Reserve took it over. It's 97% or something like that. I mean, uh, a, a dollar, and I mean, all you have to do is look at what the price of a Big Mac was 50 years ago. Oh, and it was God. like 30 cents or something like that. Hold, you know, and last time I, David, I got to yeah. stop you because you and I here, we both live in Minneapolis here. I was in Edina yesterday, uh, Southdale Mall, first first enclosed mall in the United States. The Shake Shack there. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, I don't have to tell these these stories, but still, it just bugs the crap out of me. Double cheeseburger, fries, iced tea, seventeen dollars. It's yeah, like what it's the hell? I mean, shit. And I'm you know, and I do the shopping for our family. I know how much prices have gone up. Everything in Lunds, the, the the upscale supermarket here in one of them in Minneapolis, everything's gone up two bucks. Everything. So it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, my my wife was in Costco and I wanted to, her to pick up some uh uh they have these incredible uh ribeye steaks where it's actually just the top part of the ribeye uh, that, I mean, the the most tender meat, uh, you know, it's as tender as a tenderloin, but it's got the marbling. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. That, that's kind of like the top of the muffins from Seinfeld, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it, anyway, I mean, I bought, last time I bought them, which was a few months back, you could buy three of them for like $45. Uh, about 15, 15 bucks a pound or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, I told her to pick some up, and there were two of them for 57 Oh, terrific. Fantastic. God. I mean, it, Joe that, Biden loves you. What the hell? Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But going back to what you were talking about, I mean, for all practical purposes, from 71, every decade, as far as inflation is concerned, you can pretty much double what anything costs. Yep. I mean, that's pretty much yep. the formula. So you go you go back five, uh, five, um, uh, 50 years, five decades, it's five times, you know? So Yeah, so, I mean, anyone who put money under the mattress was an idiot, right? Because... 
uh, the value of that dollar has just, you know, plummeted. And uh, it, it is going to continue to do that. The question is the rate at which it happens. And the Federal Reserve has been trying to keep it at 2% a year inflation. And, uh, you know, it's what, seven now? Yeah. And that is an underrate, uh, understatement of the things that we normally buy, because there are a lot of things that are in that index that uh, we don't buy regularly. Right. So, uh, you know, I mean, say you bought a car. Well, how often do you buy a car? Five, seven, ten years? Yeah. Uh, uh, so if, you know, the price of a car only went up 5% or something like that as opposed to 7 it doesn't make a difference to you. The fact that that stake went up 35% makes a huge difference to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, getting back to SVB, because I, uh, well, I I cheated you of the best part of this. Yeah, okay. So when, that, yeah. And that's why I, okay, keep on going, because I think you're getting to what I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing that was striking about SVB, everyone knows, oh, it's Silicon Valley Bank. Here's all the important stuff about it. But if then you go and look what Silicon Valley Bank's priorities were, and uh, they were all about, ESG, working with the World Economic Forum on social justice, uh, you know, the, the person who is in charge of risk management, it turns out to be a queer activist, the, uh, a board member at Forbes, and this will probably explain to you why Forbes just named them one of the best banks in the country, uh, when they went under her number one concern, she put out on Twitter this series of tweets, and she's gotten so much crap about it that she's taken them down. Uh, uh, but uh, the, her series of tweets was all about how a dis- what a disaster this is for the LGBTQ community. And then there's also, uh, I just read an article about how the collapse of SV, uh, Silicon Valley Bank is an existential threat to the world because it's, (laughs) I kid you not, uh, because a lot of solar companies uh, and carbon reduction companies had their money there. That's what they were about. It was a, (laughs) you know, they're talking about where it's the startup economy and this and that and everything, but the ball they had their eye on was left-wing policy. Yeah, and hold on, let's talk about that for a second, because here's the problem with this whole scenario, and my whole cohort here at Kong News, Hank Reardon, he's a business expert, he goes on and on about this, and he's absolutely right. The problem is, if you we turn the economy over to these people, they're going to completely ruin it, but they will never, yep. ever up to it. They won't take responsibility for it, they won't try to correct it, and then we're stuck with having to rebuild it over again, and you know what? It's, how hard it is to start something when you got to do it from scratch. That's the problem. That's the problem, that's the reason, that's the thing that conservatives have to stop. We can't allow this. You know? Yeah, well, all that stuff, even if it were good, they're luxury goods, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, your political activism is a luxury good compared to feeding yourself. No shit. Yeah. You know, uh, right. feeding your home, having a home, 
uh, you know, it, it, and yet that is what they're focused on. And, you know, it, it's like they're locusts. They come in, they eat up all the seed corn, and then they move on. Well, uh, well David, they can't imagine being broke. That's the thing. They can't imagine not being able to feed themselves. They're so far removed from it. They just simply, it's beyond their realm of understanding. Yeah, well, and look at how they uh, uh, feel about and react and treat anyone who actually does anything. Uh, (laughs) Now, now I say this as someone who is totally worthless. Uh, You know, when the apocalypse comes, I'm going to be in the first batch of people who get eaten. Yeah, right. right? Oh, I'm with you. I'm I'm nice and fat now, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Adequate marbling, you know? Right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, uh, I I know uh, people who, you know, could survive on, like, squirrel feet, you know, and, uh, you know, they've already got, you know, a cabin somewhere with, 80,000 rounds and 18 guns and they know how to hunt. I am not that person. I'm not either. No. Uh, But I have the most respect for those people, particularly the ones who come, you know, when uh, I have a problem with my electricity, when I have a problem, an appliance goes out, uh, you know, I love those people because they're the people who keep civilization that's correct uh, and you know i was looking at uh you know there was someone who was writing about how worthless men were and women could do anything better and all i could think of is is that 98 percent of people who are electric linemen people who like restring everything after a storm keeps you know keep the lights on literally uh-huh. uh uh they're men yeah now, I mean, that doesn't mean that women are, you know, don't do things that make civilization work. I mean, you know, they're just as vital, but, uh, you know, they're complementary. We're both complementary. Uh, and, you know, this idea that, uh, and what we've seen is like the feminization of everything in society. Uh, only the feminine virtues matter to the point where, Men are becoming women and then claiming to be better women than women, uh, uh, you know, but. And, and isn't it amazing that the, that that doesn't bother the women? This is the thing I don't understand. All these, these, these men who are claiming to be women and trying to take over women's spaces and women are just kind of letting it happen. I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Yeah, I, well, my impression just from every bad social trend is, uh, things that can't go on forever won't, but they will go on much, much longer than <laughs> they possibly could. Well put. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, we live in the wily E. Coyote world. Yeah. Where as long as you don't look down. <laughs> yeah, or up to see a safe <laughs> fall on you, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, that... Uh, Adam Smith actually had a great comment about this because uh, he was alive during the American Revolution. Uh, In fact, uh, The Wealth of Nations came out in 1776. And uh, one of his companions, I I think at the university, 
was very upset about the American Revolution and said, this is going to ruin England. To which Adam Smith said, there's a lot of ruin in a nation. Uh, which, you know, uh, translated into sort of modern language is, yes, it's going to be a problem, but you'd be shocked at how long these problems can go on. Yeah. Uh, you know, England didn't, re- you know, in fact, it kept on rising until World War One, when it basically collapsed. Uh-huh. Uh you know, uh, it, it, you know, most people don't understand that, but I mean, England was the most important country in the world until World War One, when uh, it became the United States. And the reason why most people don't understand that is, is that the United States, at least until recently, was an extension of an Anglo-American empire. Right. It was a very smooth transition. Yes. Uh uh, so we took over the guaranteeing of the world's uh, uh, power structure. Um, and, and speaking of that, I'm going to move on to another um, uh, article you wrote recently uh, called The Homeless Industrial Complex, because I think that fits, oh in, fits in what you're talking about. I'm going to preface this, David, with a little story. And I don't like to talk about this very much, but this happened to me uh, in uh, the 1980s. I, w- I lived for three months on the, in, on the streets in Los Angeles, uh, in the um, uh, Skid Row District. Uh, and this mm-hmm. was particularly uh, painful for me because I, I had previously had a very high-paying job for my, for my age. And here I was. I was homeless. So I had, I, uh, uh, living among these people, I, had, I had made an observation that stuck with me. I mean, this is 40, 45 years ago now. My observation was of the people that were surround, I was surrounded with, Half of them were mentally ill. Uh, yep. Okay, so just subtract that right away. Half of them were mentally ill. They need to help. Now, what, how that's going to happen, whatever, was beyond my purview and it kind of still is maybe. Of the other half, 25% of them were in my position. They were going to get out of there as soon as possible. There's, mm-hmm. they, they were, they were uh, clamoring for the exits or whatever they could do. The other 25%, I actually came to the conclusion they liked it. I gotta admit, I, yeah. I like, it's like because people don't understand if you're completely totally broke, you don't have any responsibility you have to worry about. It. You don't have any have to pay an electric bill or a mortgage, or you don't have to pay anything. And some people can't; they like that lack of pressure. You know, that's the conclusion I came to. And so now you're writing about the fact, and, and this is, I mean, this is ridiculous. I don't think you actually mentioned this in your article, and I can't remember if this is in New York or L.A. Was it New York spent $1 billion on homeless in 2021 and homeless? Two billion. Two billion and homelessness went up 12%. Yep. What? Yep. I mean, it's it's such a grift, it's unbelievable. No one's getting helped. All all it is is bureaucrats taking money. Bureaucrats and nonprofits. And you're right, it is a grift. Uh, I, you know, it's, um, uh, it really is remarkable. My wife works for the, the state legislature and has for on and off for 10 or 15 years. And I, I did a small stint there and, uh, it's very easy to see after a while the radical difference between what people say they are doing and what they're trying to uh, say they're trying to do and what they're actually doing. 
Uh, and what they're actually doing most of the time, and this is excluding transfer payments. There are, a, you know, huge transfer payments that are welfare state that go directly to people. And yeah. you can argue about whether it's enough or too much, whether it helps, doesn't help. But at least that money is going to somebody who needs help. Right, right. Whether or not it's actually helping in the long run, uh, it is serving a purpose. That's a different discussion. You're right. Yeah. Uh, uh, But there's a vast percentage of the money that we spend supposedly helping people that doesn't even get near them. Uh, It just goes into nonprofits and to contractors. I mean, right now, if you want to build affordable housing, you know, what they call affordable housing in Los Angeles, it is $2 million a unit. Yeah. $2 million. Now, I don't know about your listeners. I don't live in a $2 million house. No. uh, Or a $2 million apartment. And if you look around, uh, you know, in most of these cities, once you get outside of the CC areas, people are not spending $2 million, middle class people, on their living space. Uh, and, of course, you know, there are only so many units you could build there, so you're not helping very many people uh, uh, with that. But, boy, you're helping the contractors. Uh, and... Uh, you know, what got me to write this particular article was about enormous graft that was taking place where there was money floating around and kickbacks and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, there are people who, you know, this guy who ran a nonprofit, bought a flop house. I mean, literally just a crappy little flop house. Uh, and, he was just pulling in the money and he was kicking back money to a nonprofit that would send people to him so that he could farm them. Basically, uh, you know, the homeless people are, are, are just being farmed basically for the money that they, uh, can get from the government. And you, did you bring this up in your article? I can't remember where I read stuff about uh, Elon Omar and this whole thing that happened with feeding the children. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now explain. We've talked about that, but explain to our listeners how what happened here. Well, uh, the it's the single largest fraud uh, with COVID money that has yet been uh, discovered, and there are estimates that somewhere on the order of 50% of all this COVID relief funds were just skimmed off the top. Right. Fraud. Uh, uh, and that's trillions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in any case, there, you know, and I'm going to be very politically incorrect here, but there is basically a huge fraud called Feeding Our Future, which was almost 100% run by uh you know, what amounts to a Somali gang where they uh, got money from the Minnesota Department of Education and it was COVID relief funds from the United States Department of Agriculture to substitute for the school lunch program. And it was expanded. And so they were getting so much per meal and they basically invented people in meals uh, claiming to serve 
what amounted to many millions of meals over the the uh, COVID pandemic, and uh, you know, I mean, already there's something like fifty people who have been indicted. Uh, if you look at uh, politicians who've got money from the people involved, it was taken prey. Uh, Elon Omar, who, by the way, he's got, uh, uh, you know, a lot of political connections to the people who are involved in this. Jeremiah Ellison, who is Keith Ellison's son, uh, was involved. Uh, and it was hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it was you're right. It wasn't a quarter of a million dollars. It was a quarter but, of a billion dollars. It's yeah. unbelievable. Two hundred and fifty million dollars. I mean, it's money. Yeah, well, and, oh yeah, and you know, a lot of that money, you know, fled the country uh, when the Fed started closing in. Some of these people fled the country, uh, and they'd already bought. Uh, property in Africa, yeah. going back to Africa, uh, with taxpayer money. Uh, anyway, it, it was basically this huge scam, and it became clear after a while that it was the scam. Uh, and the Department of Education had this huge problem where they kept on turning the money on, taking, turning it off, turning it on, turning it off, and Nobody was quite sure what to do because everyone was very politically connected, uh, almost everybody involved. They had a front woman who was a politically connected white woman with a nonprofit, but everyone else was Somali. Uh, uh, and there are all these videos of her getting, you know, awards, gold bars. I mean, literally, videos of her at a party getting gifts of gold bars. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, so it didn't stop until the Fed swept in. And also, <laughs> also they, they fed almost no one, right? I mean, it's like yeah. 5% of the people they claimed or something like that. It was like all that money went to almost no kids. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. A friend of mine has gone and, and filmed the places where they were supposedly feeding thousands of kids a day. And I mean, one of them is an empty lot. Another one is a restaurant that probably holds 50 people. Uh, you know, it just, it didn't happen. Uh, you know, they fed some people. And by the way, because it was COVID time, all the rules about infection. Uh, were were taken off because, yeah, of right. course, it's too dangerous, right? Uh, to to uh, send people to these places. So, uh, it, you know, it's another example, actually, of what the homeless industrial complex is. It's just different. Uh, it's not homelessness, but it's supposedly helping the poor. But the people who get something out of it are the people who run the program. Uh, there's another example in San Francisco where there was a homeless encampment that was right in front of City Hall. And it was a huge problem. And so they actually passed an ordinance where they uh, uh, actually created funding and social services and all this for the people and, you know, plotted it out. And someone went and did the math. 
and it, it and it was per ten. They were spending sixty thousand dollars a year per yeah. ten. Yeah, right. And you know, I mean, <laughs> that's not going to the homeless. Person. No, uh, uh, that's going to all the people who are supposedly helping them. If you're paying me uh, 50, 60 grand to be homeless, I'll be homeless. So, you yeah. know, it's a, <laughs> it's a good job. Well, Jeez. in fact, I mean, I, I, you've probably seen these interviews with homeless people uh, where some of them talk about what you talked about, which is. It's their lifestyle. Yeah, right. And it's a pretty good one because they get uh, EBT cards for getting, you know, for food from the government. Uh, uh, and so, you know, obviously, I don't want to live like that. No. Uh, uh, but I mean, there was this guy who, he was a mess at it. And, but, you know, he was just explaining why he lived there. And why it worked for him. He says, well, you know, I'm a meth addict. Uh, they give me money. They feed me. I get to do whatever I want. People give me money. You know, I beg. They give me money. I go get my meth. And I'm happy. I don't know what it is yeah. in other cities, but I've been told that, you know, and apparently, I, I, right a few years ago, one of the local television news channels did a story on this. If you go down to the Nicollet Mall in downtown Minneapolis and s- sit and beg or on one of the freeway exits, you're basically yep. going to make 20 bucks an hour. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. You know, I've heard it actually helps to look relatively um, if not upscale, relatively kempt. That believe it or not, yep. looking kempt, you get more money than if you if you look really truly homeless. But um, yeah, I got two. I, I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth here, so you you don't have to say anything you don't want. I could make an argument that Elon Omar, who represents the district I'm sitting in this very second, might be the single most corrupt politician in Congress. Uh, there's been rumors floating around for years, and the Star Tribune here locally has reported on this, that she is paying people in the Somali community to vote for her, like a couple hundred bucks a pop. Now, during the midterms, you know, I got 15 people listening to this, but I was going on saying, hey, here's the deal. Take the money and then don't vote for her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you know, no one's going to find out. You don't have to, you don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> Just take the money and vote yeah. for somebody else. It's like, oh, my God. It's embarrassing. She's an embarrassment. But I know my, my liberal, my my wife's liberal friends. They will go on and on about how brave she is, and oh my god, it's like oh Jesus, make it stop. Well, I mean, think about it. She's uh, she's performatively Muslim, right? Uh, I mean, she almost certainly. We're talking ninety nine point nine 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 percent married her brother to get him into the country yeah. illegally. Right. Uh, she married someone else. Uh, uh, and it's unclear actually that she was divorced from her brother. There's a <laughs> dispute about that. Yeah. Uh, and then she divorced this guy to marry one of her political consultants who she had been funneling a lot of money to like, sorry, that is not a pious Muslim woman. Yeah. No, no. As a matter of fact, you know, I mean, seriously, you just pointed out, 
her personal life is a hot mess. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't care who you are and what color of skin you are. You can be some some crazy white woman from San Francisco. And if your personal life is that messed up, I don't know if you have the business being in Congress. I don't know. That's my personal feeling. But, you know, if you can't keep that shit together, it's like, well, you know. But like I said, that's I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm not going to do that. Well, I mean, I, to me, the most interesting part, I mean, she's got this story, uh, you know, the pattern that she gives, you know, she's a Muslim woman in Congress, a refugee, this and that. Well, her dad uh, was a minister in the communist country. The reason why she was a refugee is, her dad was an upper class minister in the communist regime in Somalia. And when they had a turnover in government, they had to leave because, of course, you know, it being Somalia. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it ain't the place to be if you're no. out of, you know, good odor. Very possibly um, the single most corrupt country on earth, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's been a lot, I mean, not every Somali who's come here is corrupt, but a lot of the corrupt people in the Twin Cities are Somali. They have yeah. brought over that, right. that culture. She is very much a part of that. Uh, and, you know, I mean, her background, you know, was steeped in Marxism. Uh, you know, she comes from a very high class intellectual background. Uh, you know, she performs as something else, but she comes from a very globalist, self-indulgent, moneyed background. Uh, you know, but she plays the poor oppressed woman very well. Right. And that's why the, the, you know, the whiny white woke women. Yeah. Exactly. And nothing is funnier if you've lived in Minnesota than somebody from Somalia moving here in the winter. It's like yes. that that's the thing that I just can't it's like that's the most hilarious thing on the planet. There's you could not find a climate more different than Somalia than Minneapolis. You couldn't. It's yes. like unbelievable. They're freezing. <laughs> hey, I want to move yeah, on. But yeah, go on. Sure. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a very tribal culture and, uh, you know, the Lutheran social services brought in the first, uh, Somalis and then it just steamrolled. Yeah. And they basically got one of their own elected. That's basically what happened. Yep. Yeah. I want to move on to one more thing here. I want to close with this because I think this is very important. Your story on Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger at the, at the congressional hearing this week. I have to tell you, I just, I, m my heart sank when I watched this. It's like I see the, I watch the whole freaking republic going down the tubes. If yep. These people, now, first of all, you had alluded to this in your article, and this has been my theory for some time, even with um, Joe's Nuremberg speech that he gave before the, the midterms. And that is, I think, and like I said, I think you're on the, you're thinking the same thing. I think what they're thinking is they, there's a certain, part of their electorate, of the liberal mindset that's basically disengaged from the news. You know, these are the people yep. that are getting their ears, their noses pierced and all that sort of shit. They don't really, they're not really paying any attention. And th their way of reach, reaching these people, even though they're a small segment of the populace, is, is this constant pounding about the fact that conservatives are evil. And I think they figured out somewhere in their polling that 
things are so evenly divided in the country that these people can make the difference of them winning or not. Is that the way you see, see this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the uh, 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 their constituents uh, uh, have their mind made up uh in the same way that you know i mean we see this on on both sides of the aisle i mean you you know i live on twitter because it's a great resource for for my writing and uh you know there's sort of two different types of of, of say trump support you know the there's the cult of trump uh who will just you know go with him, you know, through the gates of hell. Right. And then there are the people who, uh, you know, it's like, all right, he was very effective. I like what he did. I don't think he's going to win and they're going to move up. Yeah. Uh, and you have the same thing on the Democrat side with, you know, the crazies. And then you've got, you know, people who just want to win. And, uh, you know, with the Schellenberger, uh, and Taibbi hearings, you know, in a, in, a, in a normal, rational world, the question of what was the government doing, what was Twitter doing, what was legal, what wasn't, what was moral, what wasn't, that's not what the hearings were about, at least not for Democrats. Uh, the hearings were about reassuring the people who were kind of shaken by a lot of the revelations uh, that they're on the right side. Uh, and so uh, it, it was really interesting. I mean, the, uh, there was one group of Democrats who I thought were just sheer idiots because they were actually trying to argue the point. Uh, but the problem is, is that they have an indefensible point. I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of like with... Uh, the pornography that's being taken out of the Florida public schools. Right. You, you, got, you wrote an article about that too. And the fact you had to, you had to black out what was on Twitter because it was so offensive. And yet they were yeah. arguing about it's what, whether they should have it in school or not. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, it was his press conference. Ron DeSantis's press conference was being uh, uh, live streamed by all the news channels. Uh-huh. And when he started showing what was in the books, they had to cut away. It, it's, it's like, well, this is not fit for TV. And it's like, right. well, there you go. That's yeah. our point. <laughs> right. Well, but let me get, let me ask you, you're talking about those yeah. people at the hearings that yeah. you thought were like indefensible. Do you think they believe this stuff? I, uh, I don't know. I think it varies uh, between people who are just way too stupid to really <laughs> think about it. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, you actually had a congresswoman who didn't know who Barry Weiss was. Yes, you know, I found that amazing. The, you're you're yeah. at this hearing. I mean, she's an integral part of this. Element. You didn't do ten minutes of homework. I mean, Christ. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet, when she, you know, is at, you know, she's asking the question, and so you had Taibbi Schellenberger and Barry Weiss were the primary people who wrote the Twitter files, and she asked, "So, are you a threesome?" Yeah. But uh, uh, what? <laughs> I know. What the hell? So you have you have people that stupid. And then you had I forget what her name was, but the uh, uh 
the the representative from the Virgin Islands, right? Who is just a raging leftist, but she actually knew the point, yeah, of the hearing for the Democrats. She was by far the smartest person there, and that was basically to shout invective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the only uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. She doesn't actually have a vote, right? Nope. No, she doesn't. Nope. She is. So- yeah. And thank God, because, I mean, <laughs> she's both a leftist, but also I thought she was very smart. Uh, uh, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, a delegate from the U.S. Virgin Islands would, you know, be the best and the brightest. And, you know, I mean, she's not the absolute best and brightest, but she's smarter than 98% of the Democrats in the House. Uh I mean, at least politically so, because she understood all she needed to do, all the Democrats needed to do was reinforce the Republicans are evil. Right. Uh, uh, Now, that frustrates people like you and me and anyone who cares about these issues. But for those voters who have the nose rings or the whiny white uh, woke women, they just want to hear that they're on the right side. Yeah. Uh, and, and so she's talking about, I mean, the thing about, uh, these three people, Barry Wise, Matt Taibbi and, and Michael Schellenberger, they're all actually leftists. That's right. That's the hilarious part. Leftists. They're liberals. Correct. Right. They're, they're, they're liberal. I mean, Barry yeah. Wise is, uh, a lesbian, a married lesbian who w- worked for the editorial page of the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, she just happens to be an old style classical liberal who believes that, well, you can tell the truth. <laughs> Censorship is bad. You know, yeah. sort of very basic thing. Right. Uh, uh, Taibi worked for Rolling Stone, for God's sake. He was an investigative reporter for Rolling Stone. I forget uh, where Schellenberger worked, but they're all liberal. But they were, you know, they just painted them, or, or, or at least this particular delegate painted them as right-wing extremists who are trying to spread misinformation, and then they're in the pocket of a billionaire. So I have to, uh, hold it, I have to ask you a point-blank question here. You're talking about Barry Weiss being a, you know, a classical liberal. My read of this situation is that the, the Marxist leftists, the true crazy people in the Democratic Party only make up of maybe about 20%. How did the party get taken over by a small minority of people? It seems like they are running the thing now. Like, how did that happen? Is it people just not afraid to st- uh, step up or, you know, everyone wants to be with the cool kids or how'd that? Well, or do, or uh, yes. do, you, do you agree with uh, me? Oh, I do agree. Well, I don't know whether it's, 20% or 30%. Yeah, I don't either. Right. The, it's, the, I, it, it's certainly not the majority. Correct. That's the point. It's uh, not the majority. Right. And you see this here in Minnesota, too, where Melissa Hortman, you know, is sort of a, a Clinton liberal, you know, Bill Clinton liberal. Uh, but, you know, she's the, the Speaker of the House and totally in the thrall of the left. And uh, it's because they can primary. Uh, the, the the sort of more moderate, the just liberal. Uh, in fact, that's how Ilan Omar uh, became a congresswoman. Uh, she primaried uh, uh, first one of the most liberal 
uh, uh, women in the Minnesota House, uh, a Jewish physics professor who had been there for years, uh, and she marched in all these Somalis to the endorsing convention, uh, driving actually Phyllis Khan, who is the, the woman nuts, because none of them could speak English. Uh, many of them were probably not citizens. She actually tried to get this uh, then to show their ID at a Democrat. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Endorsement. That's fantastic. Uh, because it was clear they were, they were there legally, but I mean, hoisted on her own petard. Well, now the, uh, now they got a driver's license, so they'll have an ID, you know. Oh yeah, yeah without yeah, demonstrating anything, right. and they will be automatically registered to yeah. vote. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, uh, it's that power. They have the power to kick these people out. That's how AOC got in there, right? Uh, Ilan Omar actually also for Congress. Uh, she did the same thing, uh, although it was an open seat. Uh, but uh, Mike Erlinson was the you know had the inside track. He was the chair of the Democratic Party. He had been Martin Sabo's chief of staff. Uh, everyone thought he was going to get it. She sweeps in, uh, and because she can mobilize the leftists and so few people participate at that level uh, that they can take over the party. Plus there's another element that I think most people don't really understand is, is that the electoral army for Democrats are public employees. And in particular the teachers union and then uh, the service, uh, employees union, the SEIU being the big one, and they are hyper left. Right. Uh, and so these are the people who do the canvassing, the door knocking, the get out the vote. Uh, they are an army. They are free to the candidates. They don't go on any uh, any any kind of uh, campaign contribution uh, list, and yet. You're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, for any politician out there that they can count on, and they're a base vote. Yeah, uh, and so I mean, all you need to do is look at what the public schools are like today and understand that you've got to please those people because they're the ones who get you elected. Well, you use the word too that, and it really uh, applies here. Activists—they are active, yeah. and that's actually one of the problems. You know, conservatives. In some ways, we don't like government. We don't want to get involved. Yeah, you know, and that's part that that's one of our problems because these people they love government. They want government to run everything, and they want you know, and they're they they're constantly. This is what they do. They're obsessed, you know, and they're crazy. Yeah, well, and it goes back to the homeless industrial complex discussion. All those, you know, nonprofits, uh, the people who who manage these programs that do nothing. Uh, they need the Democrats in power to keep the gravy train going. Right, right. So, uh, and so you're really talking about access to trillions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, the, the uh, federal government, uh, Joe Biden's budget for next year is $6 trillion. 
trillion dollars. Uh, and so that's a lot to fight over. And your typical Republican voter isn't really getting much of a slice of that. Your typical uh, Democratic activist, that's how we live. Yes, and philosoph- oh. philosophically, may, in, as far as they're concerned, we are evil because we want to shut. We want to yep. shut that off. So we want to shut yep. off. You know. So yeah, they're you know, in some ways, they look at us and they see their livelihood threatened. Of course, they're, they're, that livelihood is completely bogus. So there's no business existing yep. whatsoever. But they don't care. They're getting the money. You know, they don't give a shit. Yeah, David, yep. I think we'll leave it at that. We've been talking for an hour. I love talking to you. You know that. <laughs> Well, I enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad you did. You know, it's our it's our second anniversary here, so I want to thank you uh, for coming on. It's like, um, yeah, we're we're going to be two years old on Wednesday. So, all right, well, I, make me famous. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will do that. <laughs> I, I will do that. Thanks. Thank you so much, really, for your time. Really appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you bye soon. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. David Strom, the associate editor editor of HotAir.com. Um. Just a fascinating guy, and we almost, you know, I, I, like I said at the top, I have a list of eleven articles he's written here in the last couple of weeks. We only got to about four or five of them. Uh, yeah, so uh, we learn stuff. He's a smart man. We're gonna take a break. I have some paranormal news when we get back. Stay tuned. Keep listening. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Part three of the C-Block. Of In the Dark with Jim Peters, I am still Jim Peters. Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, the Earth is being visited by intelligent beings from other planets. There, I just said it. I just came straight out and said it. You know when these balloons were up the last, a couple of weeks ago last month with all these balloons they shot down, shot down, which is really hilarious that they shot down balloons. They used missiles to shoot down balloons, which I just think is just absolutely hilarious. I want to point out that White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, who's like, uh, like another incompetent person in the Biden administration, actually got up on the podium and said, quote, there's no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity. And she said, quote, I want to make sure the American people know knew this. Now, the, the, the funny thing is, if you're me and you've been going on about the UFOs for 30 years, and I want to point out once again, and I was just listening to, watching a documentary, a UFO documentary last night where John Greenwald, the purveyor of the Black Vault online, he was talking about the fact that Uh, of all these documents that he has procured over the last few years. And that's always been my contention, too. My thing about the UFOs is not based on a belief of mine. It's been the fact that there have been 
government documents floating around talking about this crap for 60 years. And for some reason, and that's a really good question in and of itself, the press is not paying any attention to this. Matter of fact, he said in this documentary, and this is I know this is also true because I've noticed this too, he said the best information he's gotten about UFOs in the United States is from the Canadian Ministry of Defense because they are not bound by our secrecy laws. So they talk about what we're doing internally in Canada, and those uh, memos are public because it's their, it doesn't matter to them. It's not their information. So anyway, John, you know, the thing that I found amazing is that Corinne Jean-Pierre actually gets up, and I never thought I've ever heard, ever hear a White House spokesperson actually tell the press, no, there's no aliens involved. I never thought I'd hear it. And now it's like it's, it's, it's basically par for the course. And so, Jim, why are you bringing this all up now? I'll tell you why I'm all bringing it up. Because Tim Burchett, who is a congressman from Tennessee, he has claimed now, well, he's, he, he worded this very carefully, very carefully, and he has been kind of the front person in Congress on the UFO thing in generally. He said that he believes, quote, we have recovered a craft at some point and possibly beings, and he says, quote, I think that a lot of that's being reverse engineered right now, but we just don't understand it. Now, that's been floating around Washington for 50 years. But some of this stuff's coming more and more out into the open, uh, and Burchette seems to be kind of leading the, the charge on this. I mean, there have been rumors for years. Well, you know, like I said, I know, you know, we have at least six and possibly nine or more crashed extraterrestrial spacecraft. Now, you would think the logic is if we have crashed spacecraft, that means extraterrestrials exist because that's what they're, that's where they're from. Duh. Right, you think, okay, that's not a leap of logic at all. But this has never been confirmed. So you got guys like Brichette and others who've been talking about this, but it's becoming more and more open now that 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 we have these crashed spacecraft, we're working on them, we're attempting to reverse, reverse engineer them, and there's no there's all sorts of speculation and rumor of how far we've gotten on that. Some people say we haven't cracked it at all. Some people say we've been flying these things around the solar system for 20 years. I don't, and I don't know what to believe at this point. I really don't. But whether the crashed spacecraft are there, yeah, for sure. That th- there, there's just too much evidence in terms of uh, paper paper trail to to uh, to uh, say otherwise. Once again, why the press hasn't reported on this? Well, they might be getting paid by the government not to. There was something that we've talked about this before. It's called Operation Nightingale in the 1970s, where the CIA paid about 400 of the most famous journalists in the United States to either not report certain stories or to report them incorrectly, one or the other. And some of the journalists were so taken, were so flattered by the fact they were asked to do this, some of them didn't even, some of them didn't even take the money. They just thought, well, I'm a patriot. I'm just going to do it for my country. And, of course, you know, the thing is what your country needs is, is a free and open press for you to report this stuff that in, in reality you should be adversarial, adversarially aligned against the government. But, of course, now we have the same problem. We have a, a press that's in cahoots with the government. Now, I don't know if they're paying them so much now as that it's just an ideological alignment, but in terms of the UFO stuff, Somebody might be getting paid. I'm going to use a a good example here. 
Well, first of all, there's a good there's good examples that people are getting paid all over the place. Carrie Lake, the and this is not a UFO thing, but still this this bears repeating. Carrie Lake, the former or just recently the the uh, failed uh, governor uh, person candidate for governor of Arizona, she says that someone offered her a very large amount of money. I don't think she actually said how much. A very large amount of money to to basically sit out of politics for two years to get out and not do anything, basically to make herself invisible. Uh, and she, of course, she refused. Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, the guy who's running as a Republican, the the tech billionaire, he also says that he, someone told him that he could move up in the standings of the CPAC straw poll if he paid somebody a consultant a couple hundred thousand dollars. They said they could make it happen. Now, and then the funny part is, who came in on the on the straw poll at CPAC? Trump was first, DeSantis was second, and a billionaire named Perry Johnson, who basically no one's heard, ever heard of, he came in third. Jeez, and you wonder if that vote is legit, huh? So, yeah, shit. No, oh, people getting paid. Okay, let's move on. Christine Baisley Ford, remember her? The, the woman who testified against Brett Kavanaugh? Said that she got raped by him when he was when she he was fifteen or sixteen years old. Well, I don't know if you remember this. She named four people uh, that she said were witnesses to this event, and all four of them said they didn't know what she was talking about. That that they were clueless. One of those people, a woman. Now you have to understand this is a Democratic liberal woman too. Said somebody offered her a large amount of money to change her story. Now, geez, I wonder who that would be. Do you think it's a Republican? No, I don't think so. No, we want you to change your story and say that you were wrong and that you actually you actually saw it. God, I wonder who wants to do that. Then on top of that, you go back 50 years. Actually, I think this is 1982 or 83 because Travis Walton was picked up by the by that UFO in 1980, if I'm right. So you know what happened there is there's seven guys who are driving back from work. They're loggers are driving back into the city from some from a national from a forest in Arizona, and they see this giant uh, disc shaped craft land, and they pull the truck over to look at it. And Travis Walton, like an idiot, <laughs> decided to get out and talk to it, and he got out of the truck all right, and they they took him. <laughs> and the guys saw this. The six, the six guys left in the truck saw it. They ran away for feeling, fearing for their lives. Now, the thing is, since that happened, uh, also Travis was dropped 70 miles away, was found 70 miles away five days later. Uh, and he said he was undergone medical experience by little gray people in a spacecraft. Ever since that has happened, Every single one of those seven guys has passed every lie detector test they've ever been given. Now, I'm going to be very precise here. One single test, one of the guys came out inconclusive. But they've never failed. None of them have ever failed the lie detector test. And all the other ones, um, the, the, the test came out that all seven of them in every test, I mean, this has been done like seven or eight times that, they were, that they're telling the truth, that they're telling the truth on this. Now, okay, fine. You fast forward two or three years. There's a guy named Philip Class, and Class was the UFO debunker of his time, of that time, the 70s, 80s, 90s. I think he died around 2000, I think. He was the guy that everybody in the press turned to when they needed somebody to basically counter to a UFO story, including Larry King. And he was on Larry King many times 
Well, if Travis came on Larry King or any of these people, like you know, Wil- Wil- Wilfred Wil- uh, Streber, Wil- Whitley Streber, or anybody came uh, was uh, while he was alive, Civil Class was came on, and it was his job to do the counter, and he always found an excuse for something. He all he's you know he 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 debunked every single. UFO case he ever heard, even though some of them, the evidence was extremely compelling. So one of the guys, I can't remember which one, uh, that was in the truck with Travis Walton that day in 1980, well, this is about two, three years later, said that Philip Kloss came to his house one day. And the, now, he lives in the middle of freaking nowhere. So, you know, it's like he's a logger. And he said that Philip Kloss offered him $50,000 if he would change his story. Now... In 1980, that's about worth. That's about a quarter of a million dollars now. I'm guessing it's not Class's own money. And also, why would Class want to pay somebody to do that? You know, I think Class was working for somebody else. Well, who has the money to do that? It's like we just get. I mean, it sounds like I'm bouncing around here, but I'm not. The JFK assassination. Remember those pictures of. Lee Harvey Oswald in his backyard holding the rifle in the communist newspaper. We know now those pictures are fake. They've been, they have been definitively determined as fake. But in 1963, it was extremely hard with that uh, analog technology to fake, a, a, a convincingly fake a photograph, other than a double exposure. That was easy. Anything beyond that, you basically needed a movie studio to do it. Well, who in 1963 had the resources to do that? Huh. Any of the, the individuals involved? No, no. Oh, what well, the CIA? Yeah, the you know, the CIA. They have the resources to do that. They probably have a whole department where they're doing it. They do it for all sorts of spy stuff. Geez, I wonder who did that. You know, my point is, people are getting paid off constantly to do all sorts of shit. This is happening. This has been going on in the government for at least fifty years, if not longer. And so now we got. Carrie Lake says somebody tried to pay her off to get out of politics. Vivek Ramaswamy says somebody had tried to he somebody tried to elicit money from him to get a better vote count at CPAC. It's the the whole thing's a grift, folks. It's all dishonest. It's I mean, this is the thing that I, I have to tell you. Doing this job, I've gotten so depressed because I'm really starting to realize everyone's in on a scam. It's all a scam. Everything you hear on the news, it's all bullshit. It's complete, utter bullshit. They are making news up just to make you happy and to feed your mind with with thoughts about the fact that, that conservatives are evil and you know we're, and we're gonna and we're gonna solve the world's problems. And like David Strom said on the B block, yeah, all we need is a billion dollars and we'll solve homelessness. Oh, by the way, we haven't. <laughs> now we need another billion dollars. Jesus Christ. So at any rate, that my point here is I'm getting back to what I was talking about, the fact that the press has never reported on the fact that there's this paper trail about UFOs. It has existed for at least 50 years, if not longer. It goes back to the 1950s, and no one's ever bothered to report on it. So the question is, you know, somebody pointed out to me that, no, it was I saw this on a documentary. I think it was Richard Dolan, who's now probably, uh, probably arguably the premier UFO uh, historian on the planet after Stan Friedman died. I'd love to have Richard Dolan on the show. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. He's a busy guy. But he said that apparently what happens is that the government will let the press a, a, a report on it a little bit. But if you actually start to report something really substan- substantive or earth-shattering, they'll shut you down. 
Now, supposedly, it appears now that's starting to change, which means that the government wants this announced. And that's what I've been saying for quite a while. They are, they are trying to groom the public slowly into accepting the fact that extraterrestrials are here, or at least that they're real. I mean, I do that. My personal thing, I've come to realize, I used to think, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would say this was tinfoil hat crap, but I'm now starting to think that our skies are teeming with uh, vehicles from other planets. They're flying all over the place, and they aren't really, uh, there's no coordinated effort. Supposedly, John Lear said, our government had identified 60 different species of extraterrestrials flying around. And they probably are. They're flying all over the place. But the thing is, they don't really work in con- in concert with each other. Matter of fact, uh, was it John Greenwald said on that documentary I watched, watched last night, I think he said that you, know, you have to realize that some of them probably only realize, discover each other when they come here or places like this where they all meet, you know, where we're an archaeological find. Look at all the, the monkeys down on planet Earth. Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna wrap this up here. We're gonna go into, we're gonna have a kicker here in just a moment. Uh, a little more. Stay tuned, please. Keep listening. One more thing before we leave this week. So there is this this thread on Twitter about some people apparently tried to say as an exam use an example that capitalism didn't work. The fact that there are twelve different fast food restaurants with twelve different chicken sandwiches, and like somebody said, here's the yeah. Capitalism blame, delicious food widely available. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing ever. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, that's the problem with capitalism is that we make a lot of really good sandwiches. First of all, we make a lot of them and they're really good and they're cheap. That's what capitalism does. Good food, cheap. Just the craziest shit. I live in a crazy world, folks, and you do too. I hate to, I hate to remind you that it's true. Once again, it's our two-year anniversary at Conk. Happy birthday to us. I'm going to be on Hank's show on Wednesday. I don't know who else is going to be on or what he's got going on, but I'm going to be there. I know that. And Hank is going to be on the weekend show on Friday. And he's usually not there for that. But we're, we have a, a full panel, a full house, and we're, we're trying to get every Conk News contributor to call in, at least for a few minutes. Maybe even my mother. We'll see. So anyway, I will see you on Wednesday then. And I want to thank you for listening. I want to truly thank you for listening and watching and looking at our website, Conk.News. It's the single best conservative news aggregate on the web, period. I th- We sent a press release out yesterday. Seven As of this week, according to Google Analytics, 73% of the people who come to Conk.News come back. 73%. Which, if you know anything about the internet business, is just an unbelievable figure. That's how good our website is. You can get all your news by coming to uh, uh, Kong News like once or twice a day. And, and I- any one visit, you can spend three hours reading our front page. And believe me, I've done it because it's partly my job. But yeah, 
It's uh yeah, without even without even clicking onto another page on Calling News, you can spend you can do that. Of course, if they're at all articles from other websites, but we aggregate them really really well. And there's pictures there, and there's headlines, and uh, we don't mess with any of it. It's all pure, which is the reason the the news people that we aggregate they love us because we send them right to their website. That's what we do. Anyway, we're really proud of what we what got going on here. So I want to thank you very much for listening, and I will see you on Hank's show on Wednesday. Take care.